Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Jeff St. Louis, Regional Vice President here at Plative, and your host for today's episode of What's Brewing. We have uh, quite an exciting topic. Today, we're going to talk about preparing for your NetSuite implementation. And with a new calendar year just around the corner, many of our clients have been reaching out to us looking for guidance, whether that's migrating off of QuickBooks or proprietary systems, Sage, or any cloud-based ERP. And our goal in this podcast is to really arm you with some considerations that you should be factoring in while you think about migrating to your new NetSuite home. And to join me in that conversation, I have Larry Wu, a senior consultant here at Plative, who's been working with ERP systems for the last 26 years, if my memory serves me correct. And has helped many individuals on that journey where getting into their homes, helping them pack their bags, leaving certain things behind and making sure that they're moving into a pristine home that's going to be functional for the next iteration of their lives. And so, Larry, I appreciate the time that you provided today. And before we get into the meat and potatoes, would love to know, what are you drinking this afternoon? Well, firstly, thanks for the invite, Jeff. Uh, I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Uh, (laughs) So right now I'm drinking a uh, Ethiopian blend from my local brewer, uh, coffee brewer guy. Um, that's Propeller Coffee here in Toronto, uh, Ontario, Canada. So um, I buy all my coffee from there. So uh, just a small plug to the guys at Propeller. Uh, you can check them out at propellercoffee.com. Love it. Love it. And, and I too, local coffee. Uh, there's a farmer's market just around the corner from where I live. And it's a, a Colombian blend called Highland. And so it's a place that my mom and I have frequent, frequented quite a bit over the course of the last few months. So glad to see that we're caffeined up and I think we'll need it for today's conversation. But would love to learn more, Larry. So you've been in the space for, for 26 years, as I had alluded to. In your experience, what would you say is the, the large difference between a traditional ERP implementation and a NetSuite implementation, let alone a NetSuite suite success implementation? All right. You bet, Jeff. Um, I won't go too far back into the history books about traditional implementations, we'll kind of look at comparing NetSuite to NetSuite. So originally, when before the advent of Suite Success, a NetSuite project team would literally be given a blank, clean slate. And you and your project team would just say, okay, now let's go. Everything is literally blank. Uh, there are no visuals preset. There is no business process flows preset. They have all the tools that are within NetSuite that are still there today, uh, but it never gave project teams a great starting spot. With Suite Success, they have incorporated leading business practices embedded in the Suite Success solution, and it's tailored for processes that are based on the vertical that you have purchased or deployed, be it wholesale distribution, manufacturing, software, nonprofit. Um, it runs the gambit. Each one of them are is unique in their manner um, in terms of the processes that are built in. So this provided implementations teams with a much greater and more useful starting point because after the base installation, you immediately have great looking dashboards. You immediately have tools that you can start exploring, order taking, buying, paying your vendors, uh, invoicing. Um, and, and it just made certain things easier and project life easier. And I'll, you know, use air quotes, but there are certain things that existed, still exist today, you know, 
in implementations of any ERP before Sweet Success and even after Sweet Success that really should not be ignored or underestimated. And I'll break them into three kind of pillars in, in, in our discussion today. So that's process, people, and data. Um, there's always more to talk about, but I kind of thought in, in our time today, let's focus on these three important uh, pillars. Yeah. And I've, I've been privileged of learning about these pillars, but for, for the sake of the audience, why, why don't we start with process? I know it's absolutely critical to understand the, the entire process start to finish. So if you want to tell us a little bit more about those certain considerations that you might want to have walking into a NetSuite implementation. Sure thing, Jeff. Um, so process. A lot of people going into these implementations um, will have the mindset of, well, I know how I do my business. Don't tell me how I'm going to do my business. And they come in with a preconception of you know, how they should be doing things and trying to force NetSuite to do things that perhaps just it just doesn't do as well as it did in your old system or... More importantly, perhaps your old process wasn't as appropriate or was developed or created out of certain deficiencies in your current or past systems. So it's about understanding not necessarily how things are done, but really looking at what you need from your system. So let me tell you a funny story, and this is a, a personal one. Uh, so when I first met my wife, uh, she, uh, so this is while well we're dating. Um, she invited myself over for a family dinner and she made roast beef. And I'm a big fan. You know, I, I'll, I'll admit it. Uh, and when dinner came out and she brought the roast onto the table, I noticed that the ends of the roast beef were cut off. And I was thinking, wow, those are really good pieces. You know, you get a little caramelization, a little crispiness. It's, a, it's, it's flavor country, right, Jeff? Um, so after dinner, you know, the dinner was fine and it was great. Um, not, not besmirching her cooking whatsoever. I went to her and I said, so why did you cut the ends off the roast beef, uh, when you served it? Uh, and like, what happened to it? He goes, well, um, that's the recipe my father told me, uh, taught me. Um, he always said, cut the ends of the roast beef off before you put it in the oven. And so I kind of went, well, that's, that's a that's an interesting take. Why would you do that? Like, you know, I'm a bit of a chef myself, so it didn't make sense to me at the time. So I saw the father and I just went up to him and I said, oh, dinner was great, right? So small talk, small talk. And I asked him about the roast beef recipe and said, hey, uh, so she said that you cut the ends off and that's how you taught her how to make the roast beef before you cook it. Was there any reason why you did it? And she was, oh, I got the recipe from my mother. So I'm like, okay, um, you know, plot thickens. I'm getting further down the rabbit hole. And I see the grandmother and she's sitting there in a chair by herself enjoying the party. And I, I, I asked her, so your recipe for roast beef, I heard that uh, uh, my then girlfriend made it this way. She learned it from her father this way. So why did, why do you cut the ends off the roast beef? So she looked at me and said, well, back in the day, my pan was only so big and I couldn't fit the roast beef in. So I had to cut the edges off. But she had taught her recipe down the line through the generations as if it was the way that you make roast beef. And so that's kind of a funny story I like to tell project teams and hopefully it, it, it chimes with them because the moral of the story is just because you've done it in the past, 
doesn't mean you need to do it when you move on to the future. There was a reason why you did it in the past. If you have a good understanding about that, then maybe you don't need to do it moving forward. So it's really getting a good sense of your processes and the needs of the process, not necessarily how you're doing it today, because there were probably times where your standard operating procedure was probably born out of some deficiency in the past. Now, processes and process re-engineering does take time. It's not a 15-minute conversation that you have with your team. So when you're going through an implementation like this, budget time with your team internally to look at those needs. Look at it from a legislative standpoint. Look at it from anything from your uh, accountant as an, uh, as, or your auditors from uh, an auditing report standpoint. Um, state and federal uh, instances will also kind of govern certain things that you need to do, but also from a business perspective, you want to understand, you know, why you're doing this. Is it, you know, to get good reporting, to get things out the door, make sure that you want to deliver services to your customer and then get paid in a timely manner. So it's key that you still have control over these processes. Even though you're delivered with a set of very good processes, it's important to make sure that it will work with you today. Because even though Sweet Success has made it easier for project teams, it's still not a smartphone on your app where I download, I put in my name and put in a bit of information and it just starts doing its magic. Um, the complexities of your process existed in the past and it still will moving forward. Well, not eating before that roast beef story was a massive mistake on my end. I'm absolutely starving at this point. Also kind of upset that I haven't got an invite to any of these dinners, but the analogy certainly sticks. And I, I know that our clients have related to that in the past. And you, one of the things I would love to get your perspective on, because in so many of the conversations we have helping our clients evaluate a new system, they're struggling to understand what their involvement needs to look like throughout the implementation and the time allocation that they need to commit in order to, to lead to a successful project. So tell us more about the second pillar that you had mentioned in, in people. Okay, so people, I'm going to use a, an old sports analogy, which is called skin in the game, um, which effectively means if there's nothing to win or lose, and if you don't kind of impart yourself and that accountability into your project, your project's going to be suffering and it's going to be a detriment. It could be meaning failure. So your people having skin in the game and understanding what this new project is going to uh, do for them is important. So this could be sitting around the table and saying, this is what this new system is going to bring in for you, not just oh, it's going to be more work. I've got to learn a new thing. And then you have the people that are sitting in the room with their arms folded and they, they, they're just not buying it. So getting buy-in, and I don't like necessarily use that term because I, I find that term is kind of overly used, but no one really gets it. But that's why people understand skin in the game, right? If you have, if everyone has skin in the game, they will play as if it was like the Olympics or the championship game. Uh, the thing about people as well is you want the proper people on your team to talk about those processes that I mentioned earlier. Maybe they own the process. Maybe they're the custodian of the process. Don't necessarily put people on your project team that have free time because they might not know the full picture or 
you bestow them the power to say, okay, you are now the custodian of this time. You can make the calls because there's going to be decision points throughout the project that you'll need these proper people in place. We're all busy people. When a project comes in, the reality is your daily work doesn't disappear. This has been since the advent of just project teams. This has always been here and it will always forever be here. So understand the time commitment that your people and yourself will be needed on the project. Balance it with your daily work. And it could mean distribution of work. It could mean uh, hiring backfill to help temporarily during the project. But don't underestimate the time commitment for being in a project like this. Uh, too many times I know that I've been up with a project team and when I shut down that Zoom meeting, that's the last time they think about uh, the implementation until we get into the next meeting. You need to kind of get out of that mindset and say, I need to take this, this, I'm the champion of this project, I'm going to take this forward. Because you have to remember that in all cases, consultants that you hire to help with your implementation are is, is that just that they are augmenting your team. They are not the team, right? If you allow that to happen, then you're going to have processes that aren't fully aligned with what you need to do. They're going to do the path of least resistance or basically, well, this is what NetSuite or any other system says, this is your process. And you're going to have a system that just doesn't work great for you. So remember that when you hire consultants, they're, they're here to augment your team. They're not meant to replace your team. And even after you go live, it's a good idea to set up either a NetSuite team or a NetSuite committee to be custodians of the system after you go live. Yes, after you go live, there's still work because you have an investment into your ERP and it's about continuous improvement. So there's maybe some maintenance things that this uh, committee can work on. But as long as you set this up, it's it's given you a roadmap and the resources to kind of keep bringing your system up to the next level. And that's just very important for, for anyone to consider is, you know, have those custodians in place. Yeah. And it, it's no surprise, at least in my opinion, that you have the third pillar as data, because I believe that's one of the areas that are commonly underestimated and can be the largest risk to the success of a project, or at least the timeliness of a project and making sure that you're thinking about it early and often and, and packing your bags well before the time that we have to import them into your system. Can you tell us more about your experience around data migrations and, and, and what our listeners should be considering before they embark upon a NetSuite implementation? Okay, um, so the one thing I usually tell folks is, you, don't underestimate the time required to export your data out. So that's packing your bags and bringing them into your new system. They also touch upon the two other pillars that we talked about, people and process. Understanding who has the expertise to pull out that level of data. In terms of processes, what data do we really need into the new system? Um, it's nice to say, I want everything from my old system into uh, NetSuite. And that is certainly the reality for some folks. But you have to understand that there's no magic wand that will suddenly take all that data and move it. It's, 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 it's a time-consuming task. And really just kind of look at your process and really understand what data do I really need? 
because do you really need that invoice that you cut 20 months ago and look at the details of that? Or are we just looking at financial data, being able to compare year to year? Um, it's just important. Also, NetSuite stores its data in its very specific manner. It's not going to be like your older system. So there is going to be some type of data cleanup and transformation that's necessary. Consider budgeting time for your chart of accounts and financial segments. Again, if you're coming from an older system that might have deficiencies in that area and accounting, NetSuite opens up a whole new world. And it does take time if you are considering building in a more robust and more useful uh, chart of accounts and financial segments for your reporting. Uh, by all means, your consultant can help you with re-engineering sessions, but you know, always consider that as part of your data piece. But uh, just to summarize, like, don't underestimate the, that piece. Do you really need to bring everything over? And that's kind of like you know a self-reflective moment. And so one of the questions, or at least like a black box when it comes to implementation is really, what does a go live experience look like? What are the things that we need to be planning for? Is it a hard cutover? Is it a phased approach with a soft rollout? If you had to speak to our listeners and give some advice or at least uh, a heads up to what to expect throughout the go live experience, what would you say to that, Larry? Oh boy, this could be an episode onto itself, but <laughs> um, go live is a hectic, hectic period. Um, so your goal during the project is all leading up to that day, week, that period of time so that you can mitigate the panic uh, during that during that, that, that hectic time. Um, there have been questions about doing hard and soft rollouts. Uh, they can be very difficult because you're only putting half the story into the system, but the system still requires you to give it the full story. So um, I would I would strongly go against any soft rollout to say, well, I'll just do this portion of my accounting or this portion in there, and then I'll hobble along for a little bit because it, it becomes a, a very, very difficult thing. Unless you are have a small army behind you to um, do a lot of data entry and possibly double data entry. Um, avoid doing any kind of phased internal implementations unless they're like like a web store, right? Um, or you're adding enhancements to functionality. But to your core buying, selling, managing your people, doing a phased approach can always be risky and you have to be able to accept that risk and evaluate it and also develop an approach so that if you say, I'm just only going to go live with accounts payable, well, your balance sheet is just that. It's two sides of the story. So how are you going to manage the other side of the ledger as you are live only on one system? Um, giving yourself during that little transition time a go live checklist is pivotal, right? The go live checklist should give you th things that you need to load into your system, get ready for your system so that you can log in on go live day and begin doing your standard operating procedure, getting orders in, paying vendors. Um, and it can be overwhelming. And a lot of people don't 
organize their lists accordingly. They just see it as one giant list and, and that ends up freaking people out. What I suggest is organize your tasks in one of three buckets of time. For go live day, so these are tasks that need to be there so that processes can be completed once you turn the system on. Most likely you're gonna go live at the beginning of the month. From an accounting standpoint, you're probably still closing your books out in the older system. So there will be certain tasks that you won't be able to do in NetSuite until you close your books in your old system. So usually the next timeline would be first week of the beginning of the month, right? There are some tasks that can only be done then realistically. And then there are some other tasks that really you don't need to worry about until you close the books in NetSuite. So before month end, if you organize it in those three time milestones, before, for go live, first week of go live, before month end, it'll help bring some sanity during that hectic period. And also just so that you're not investing time during that uh, go live transition period on tasks that you don't need on day one. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. And I, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to share your insights, share a coffee with me and help our, our prospective clients and some of our existing clients really prepare for their NetSuite implementation. You were fantastic. And for the, for the listeners out there, please follow along to What's Brewing. Uh, you'll find a ton of industry insights as we continue to explore new topics and relay some of the conversations that we're having directly with some of our customers. If you miss episode one, feel free to take a look and learning how to run a successful discovery. But that's all we have for today, folks. We appreciate the time and we'll see you next time.